Is it really possible to sell cars as fast as ordering McDonald's? This man thinks so. Today, I'm speaking with David Dom, co-founder and CEO at Carmatic, a tech platform that empowers dealerships to provide fast and accurate car payments to car shoppers. We discuss solving dealership choke points and inefficiencies, providing payment transparency to car shoppers, lessons from building and selling an actual video game, and much more. What's up, everyone? This is Car Dealership Guy. You're listening to the Car Dealership Guy podcast, which is my effort to give you access to the most unbiased and transparent insights into the car market. But before we get into the show, this episode is brought to you by Cars Commerce, the platform to simplify everything about buying and selling cars, including the quote-unquote follow-up. Let me explain. Dealers, fast and effective follow-up is crucial for converting leads into customers. But here's the problem. 40% of shoppers report that they are not getting timely or helpful responses from dealerships. This is a huge problem because your own team could be leaving four out of every 10 sales opportunities on the table. Cars Commerce makes it simple to measure and improve your follow-up performance. A Cars.com experience report tracks the percentage of leads your team is responding to and how customers rate those responses. While Dealer Inspire's retailing technology enables your team to quickly text follow-ups with personalized financing options to make the most out of every opportunity. To learn more about how you can measure and improve your team's follow-up performance, go to carscommerce.inc/experience or click the link in the show notes below. I took a look at your background, saw that you started your career in gaming, and then found your way into cars, which I which I found fascinating because it's just not a just not a trajectory you typically see. So I'd love to start if you can give us your background and really t- just take us from your early in your career what you worked on because I, I want to lead into present day from there. For sure. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess looking at back at my career, it's like three buckets. I actually first started my career in, in investment banking and private equity. Spent eight years in, in New York focused on advisory, M&A, you know, PE investment, which I think was foundational for what I was going to do. But I realized very quickly, I'm a builder, not a banker. I wanted to impact change and, and, and solve real world problems. That, that, that's really what it was. So I moved back to Chicago, where I'm originally from, from New York. And and launched my first startup. And guess what? It, it failed. But I applied those learnings to my next startup, which happened to be in the gaming space. Why gaming? You, you know, I've, I've always had a passion for solving problems. I'm a, you know, I'm a gamer. I'm not a hardcore mass multiplayer online gamer, which is one of the games we end up building. More of a casual gamer. Don't, um, don't lie to us, David. Don't lie to us. Yeah, well, yeah. Well, <laughs> I've got two kids now, so I don't even touch games. But yeah, <laughs> but yeah there, there was... We actually, our first game was tackling the fantasy sports space. And, and for me, I saw myself, it was a personal pain point. I didn't have the time to devote to being a fantasy player. And so we uncovered this opportunity, this huge market of, of sports enthusiasts that wanted to participate in fantasy, but they just didn't have the time. So we created more of a session-based fantasy sports experience. And that was really kind of the foray into gaming for me. But looking back on that experience, I think, you know, you make mistakes as an entrepreneur. And I think first-time entrepreneurs, it's, it's tough to get it right that first go-around. Uh, and so we made all the mistakes typical first-time founders make. You know, we scaled the team too quickly. We raised too much money, all uh, you know, through the lens of not really understanding what product market fit is. And product market fit, you know, for those that have started companies, it's kind of like this holy grail. You want to identify a market that has a need and it's ultimately, you want to build a product that satisfies that need. And that's the easiest definition of, of kind of achieving product market fit. And so scaling that, that gaming experience without really understanding product market fit, we were getting close, 
but you're learning along the way. And I think that's, that's one of the big takeaways for me personally. When I look back at my, my background and my experiences, I think a great founder really has to check his or her ego at the door, embrace failure, and then apply those learnings to what they're doing. And, and that's kind of how we, how we approached, at least back in the day, you know, the experience with my, my, my gaming startups. We were fortunate enough to have a patient set of investors that really were investing in myself, my team, our vision, and the market opportunity. So we quickly kind of pivoted within gaming uh, to a slightly different product, and we did everything right. You know, we, we scaled the team, we kept it lean, and we raised just enough money to get to that next kind of validation point. And what was the game? The game was called Forge, and Forge it was it was really going after this market. We can go, we can geek out on, on this for hours, but in a nutshell, it was going after this mass multiplayer online market. So, popular games like World of Warcraft, League of Legends, you know, billion dollar enterprises, and we uncovered this niche within gaming. My my partner, co-founder, and CTO was actually a world champion World of Warcraft player, and, and so we uncovered this niche. Yeah, I, I mean. His game design, his ethos around game design was just just tremendous. You both went from gaming together into the automotive world? No, no, no. He stayed in gaming. I went into the automotive world after we after we uh, exited Forge. But in the, the studio was called Dark Vale Games. But what we what we uncovered really was this niche within the mass multiplayer online gaming vertical. And we we focused solely on that particular style of gameplay and that was you know gamers were, were, were calling out for that and it didn't exist at the time and that's really kind of looking back you know we failed along the way to get there and eventually figured it out and i think you know i get asked a lot you know what makes a great founder and again going back to that point you know you know you got to check your ego at the door and you got to really be ready to learn from your mistakes yeah. So you said that twice now. So I have to ask, like, what was that mistake for you? At what point did you really check your ego? You're like, this is the one. Well, I think, you know, as a founder, you, you, you know, you come up with this vision and you want to solve the problem. But I think sometimes you get jaded a bit and biased and you focus more on the solution than the problem itself. At times, you, you don't really understand the market opportunity, the market need. And for us, you know, going after a quick, quick aside. So that first game we built, the fantasy sports game, it's a phenomenal game. It was sexy. We had sponsors. We had big networks that wanted to back it because on paper, in theory, it, it, it was phenomenal. But it wasn't really, one, solving a real pain point for gamers. And two, it was very limited in terms of its ability scale. Uh, it required you to log in and play alongside a real-time broadcast sporting. That was our niche. But at the same time, not a lot of people can devote hours at a time to play a game alongside a live event. And that, that was kind of our Achilles heel. You know, going back to uh, what really makes a great founder, it's living, living. You know, there's a great book, if you haven't read it, uh, The Hard Thing About Hard Things by Ben Horowitz, who's a famous entrepreneur and investor now. And there's one passage that always stuck out for me. And it was something along the lines of, you know, that startup CEO is too busy fighting the enemy to read books written by consultants that have never managed a fruit stand. And, and it's so true. I lived it. You know, I had to put payroll at one point on my personal credit card. I had to take half my company into a room one day and let them know that that was their last day because we had to survive. 
you know, bleeding survival at all costs. And you can't read about that in a book or learn about it in business school. You, you have to live it. And, and so that's kind of how I've approached everything I've done in my career. And especially as we embark in a built out karmatic, it's really leveraging those learnings and, and doing things the right way. And I think it's one thing to be able to kind of have that transparency and look back on your experience as a founder, but equally important, that's the tip of the iceberg. You have to surround yourself with that initial core team from day one. And that's exactly what we've done also here at Carmatic is our team is phenomenal. I've never worked with a, with a better team. And we're going to get a lot into that because I have a ton of questions on how you build this team. But before we get there, so here's what I'm really interested in. You were the chief product officer at cars.com, right? How in the hell do you go from gaming to being the CPO at automotive tech media company? How does that work? It's crazy, right? <laughs> I was just curious when I saw this, I said, like, like, why, right? What drove that? So go ahead. Yeah, after my last startup, I, I really didn't have an epiphany for that next massive problem that needed solving. And I'm not going to go, you know, craft a solution that doesn't really have a real market need and a problem attached to it. I am a huge car enthusiast, huge. Uh, and at the time, I had a passion for two different verticals for two different reasons, automotive and insurance. And it turns out that a friend of mine who had been CTO of cars.com mentioned to me that, you know, I should go talk to, to the folks over at cars. They were doing cool things. So as soon as I met with the leadership team over there and uh, Alex Vetter, I was hooked. You know, I saw where Alex wanted to take Cars Commerce. Now it was cars.com at the time. And I wanted to be a part of it. And so I think what I brought to Cars was that scrappy entrepreneurial mindset. And of course, it doesn't hurt that I have a passion passion for the space and the industry. So, you know, within, uh, God, a couple of days of, of meetings with, with, with that team, I said, listen, I want to be a part of this. And, and, and I joined the organization. And from there, I, that was my foray into auto. I, I guess that's now eight years ago, which... In this industry, I'm still considered green and a newbie. You know, the average tenure is, is decades, but I also think that lends me a slightly different perspective, a fresh perspective. I can kind of challenge the status quo in auto, and, and it's it certainly served me well. So like fast forwarding to Carmatic, which is what you're working on now. First, before I even ask you to, you know, explain to us what you're doing and technically like, what are you really doing, but what insights did you glean from cars, right? Because here you're managing, you know, the product for one of the largest automotive tech and media companies serving thousands of dealers, you clearly see a lot, you're exposed to a ton. What were the insights that you gleaned that led you to, you know, ideating Carmatic and what you're working on today? Yeah, I think being a part of Cars Commerce was a fantastic experience. Why? Because you kind of had a front row seat to a two-sided marketplace in auto. So you got to see the consumer pain points, but also the dealer pain points. And I think that's that's where I think, you know, there's a lot of, of folks that want to penetrate out with a new idea. And you're either focused on solving consumer problems or solving dealer problems. We, we got to see both sides. And I think for me, the big aha, and then you marry that with just my passion as, as a car enthusiast. I mean, I was on cars.com years before I joined the organization. I was on there daily as, as a consumer. And it, there's just a lot of, pain points, a lot of friction uh, as, a, as, a, as a shopper. And I think that was, you know, one big aha was transparency. Uh, you know, it, 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 
there's very limited transparency. It's very difficult to navigate that shopping experience in auto when you're looking for a vehicle online. So looking back at, at, at my car's experience, it was really all about how do we balance the needs of the consumer, but also knowing that we have to enable the supply side, the local dealers with the right technology to be the ultimate advocate for their, for their consumers. And what were the pain points for the dealers? What were the biggest pain points that you saw? I think there's a lot of inefficiency at the back of house. Look, ultimately, dealers... I'd agree yeah, with that. I, I think there's a misconception, too. There's this, this lack of trust. Look, you've got your bad actor dealers, but those are a minority. It's unfortunate that those kind of muddy the waters from the consumer's perspective. But at the end of the day, they, they want to build that trust. They want to build that transparency. Ultimately, I think they don't have the right tools to do that effectively. It's disconnected. It's siloed. And we've made huge strides. It's funny. I was, I was recently talking with one of our VCs, and they flat out asked me what I've started Carmatic before COVID. And I think long and hard about that. And ultimately, I said, no. I think pre-COVID, one, I mean, consumer expectations have been evolving. Everyone's doing a lot more digitally online than they were in the past. But most important, you got to have the dealers willing to kind of embrace this new way of operating. And, and COVID ushered in this kind of behavioral change on the part of the dealer. They had to adopt digital solutions because their doors were shut for a couple of years. Coming out of COVID now, I think a lot of dealers realize that they're a lot more efficient. These digital solutions actually make them better at what they do on a daily basis. And, and they're introducing a hell of a lot more efficiency, transparency, and the end result is much higher consumer customer satisfaction. So, you know, looking back at, at the experience at cars and then coming into Carmatic, one thing we were really laser focused on, and, you know, our leadership team, my co-founder, Ken, we, we come from Cars Commerce, True Car, Auto Trader. So we had that marketplace experience, but we also said it's very difficult to tackle two problems at the same time. Let's focus on the dealer. We're a B2B sales enablement platform, and that's on purpose. Okay. And, and this was my next question. Like, what is Carmatic? So go ahead. Yeah. So Carmatic is it's a dealer-centric sales enablement platform. Okay. What does that mean? Yeah. It sounds like a lot of fluff, right? <laughs> what the um, hell does that mean? <laughs> right. At the end of the day, we anchor on the ability to instantly shop by feature and payment. So dealers are still in control of the sale. Our platform uses their criteria, their parameters, their payment configurations, and we're literally crunching all the numbers and presenting accurate monthly loan or lease payments in real time, pretty much for anyone at the dealership to then position and, and leverage for their end user vehicle shopping. Okay, so break that down for us for a second. First, what's the current experience today as you know it, and how are you changing that experience? Right. So, so the current experience is broken, in our opinion. So typically, let's talk about kind of the way car shopping works, right? And I'm not talking about a Tesla model, model that's going direct to consumer. I'm talking about, I'm a consumer shopper. I'm interested in buying a vehicle. My first step is online. Very few people are just walking in sight unseen to a dealership and starting the process from scratch. Correct. Agreed. So I'm online. Maybe I start in Google. I do a Google search. Maybe I go to one of the big four marketplaces and I start my search there. At the end of the day, though, what I'm doing is I'm looking for information. I'm looking to get my questions answered. Typically today, 
that starts with a lead, a digital lead in the CRM. So I'm on a marketplace, I'm in Google, I'm interested in a particular vehicle, or maybe I'm just interested in learning more about what's going to meet my needs. I submit that lead, that lead gets sent to the CRM. Of course, you've got your, your walk-ins and people calling in the phone up, but those are you know not, not the majority of leads. The leads are digital. Today, the dealership has a CRM that manages all those leads. That first touch point is typically either a business development rep, if I've got a centralized business development center, or if I don't, it's a salesperson. I'm in the CRM, and that's my first interaction with the customer. Today, they don't have a toolkit to bring that customer further down the funnel. So today, what they're doing is they're picking up the phone, and that lead has a phone number and maybe a vehicle of interest. They're calling that consumer and saying, when can you come in for an appointment? That's where the process starts today. And, and it's, it, you know, everything is done online and the consumer is looking for all this information before they make the decision to spend hours at the dealership. And why is that the current process? I think it's a couple different things. Uh, you, you know, one, dealers don't have the software and the toolkit to be able to do that needs analysis in real time online. The other, the other piece of that is you do have th- this kind of older school way of thinking. Again, going back to pre-COVID, I think a lot of dealers felt that one offering payment transparency left control in the hands of the consumer, not the dealer. So they wanted to kind of get the consumer to, to come in, spend those hours at the dealership, only to then go down the funnel and, and present them with, with payment, affordability, and kind of availability. So, but what happens in that process, and, and, and look, I mean, the stats are real. The average time spent at a dealership, even today, is five hours. Once I've decided that I'm ready to come in, that's inefficient and that's broken. And so I think, you know, the way we approached this was, what if we could kind of invert that? What if we could bring payments upstream? Because we know the data is out there. 70% of consumers, their major decision point is centered around monthly loan or lease payment. You know, what is my affordability? How, how can I purchase this vehicle and afford it? And that's a monthly payment. No one's paying cash. Very few are paying full sticker in the form of a check. And, and so how do we enable the dealership to quickly surface, you know, the features that are important to a consumer? You know, I'm looking for an SUV with third row seats, lane keep assist and parking sensors. But ultimately, my budget is 500 to $525 a month. Now you've got places you can go to, you know, go through a payment calculator or estimator. There's digital retailing tools that force you to land on a particular vehicle only to then present you with a payment that doesn't translate to the showroom, doesn't translate to the desk. And that, that in our opinion, is, is, is a broken experience. You're saying, which I'll agree, I agree with both of these points, that the lack of payment transparency when someone just calls and speaks to the salesperson is a combination of technology, like toolkit, and with certain dealers, it's also a control thing. Because let's just be honest, right? We know that you have a customer that's captive in the dealership, there's just a higher close rate. That's a fact. Whether you like it or not, I know that, you know that, that is a fact. So I want to understand now what you're building, right? How is that supposed to improve this process? Yeah, and so... We look at the, the data that we, we, we've experienced coming from the marketplace side, from, from any lead gen platform, and you look at those leads that are sitting in the CRM. Of course, the data shows that you get someone in the door, whether it's a, an auto dealership or a retail store, once you're in those doors, of course, you've got 
an audience that's you've got you've commanded that audience and and they're ready to buy and they want to leave purchasing a product whatever that product is if you look at a digital experience they haven't yet gone to the physical bricks and mortar location and so they haven't made the ultimate decision to purchase the digital leads sitting in the CRM today are closing in single digit percentages why is that they're unqualified typically that lead has a piece of contact information a vehicle of interest and it's evolving maybe there's a trade estimate attached to it perhaps there's you know a prequal in terms of credit but that's it and so when we look at all those leads just sitting in the CRM now you've got what we argue is the most important one of the most important users at the dealership the the BDR rep or the sales rep and we say that because that's the first touch point with a consumer that's your your one opportunity to convert that consumer into a paying customer but before you even get to the transaction it's getting them into the door into the dealership we we believe that this is an online to offline experience it's omnichannel that's not going away anytime soon so how do you qualify that lead better most important to a consumer is affordability today i mean that that is going to continue into 2024 we we can get into you, you know our our opinion on on where where the economy is but affordability is is a central challenge to consumers when they're shopping for a vehicle you got to qualify that lead and you got to do it in the right way you've got to arm anyone at the dealership with that technology to do that quickly and in real time otherwise you'll lose it. and so so that's that's really what we're focused on with Carmatic is it's it's kind of like there's three pieces to to our technology that that allows for that the first is really ingesting all of that data associated with the lead through Carmatic the inbound lead information for that vehicle of interest the payment information the feature information we can take all of that unpack it and then quickly give that transparency to a BDR rep or a sales rep so while they're on the phone with the the consumer while they're working that lead while they're chatting with that consumer they can surface all of those recommendations that have real time monthly payments tied to them that have all the features that the consumers are looking for but then equally important line of sight into profitability i think that's a big disconnect here how are you doing this Give us under the hood. What's happening under the hood here? Yeah, under the hood, we're doing thousands of calculations on every vehicle in real time. So whether you're a single point store or a group, our technology is basically looking at that vehicle of interest, unpacking all of that build data. We're looking at what the consumer is is looking for in terms of budget and affordability. And then the most important thing is think of it like this. We feel that a big miss on a lot of these these payment pieces of technology that are that are out there today whether it's a payment calculator or a digital retailing product is they're not connected to the desk what's the desk cuz not everyone here knows the definition of what that means so the desk in, in in the dealership you know you've got your business development center that is 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 tasked with working those leads they want to get that lead to then come in and there's a handoff to the salesperson the salesperson then is working with that consumer typically they're walking the lot they're they're finding out if that vehicle is available Once the consumer lands on a vehicle they say okay I'm going to go over to the desk or the tower and now we've got to find out if you can afford the vehicle. We're going to get you a monthly payment. Let's get you the real terms. Let's start submitting this to lenders and get you real numbers. We'll get we'll get you the real numbers. We'll pull your credit. If you've got a trade, we've got to, you know, we've got to do an appraisal on that trade. We've got to pick the right lender programs that will quote a payment based on your consumer profile. 
We've got to then calculate all the tax, tag, license data. We've got to put in all of our fees. Look, the dealers need to make money. There's markups involved. You know, they're F&I products where they have margin. So all of this typically happens at what they call the sales desk. Today, that's in the showroom. And, and what we're saying is, what if we can evolve that desk, desking experience and move a lot of that online, move those payments? And, and the desk is really where the payment happens to get to that first pencil. They call it the first pencil of a payment. What if we could put a first or second pencil on every single car in real time digitally before the consumer comes into the show? And, and so the first pen, one of the big ahas for us was there's a misconception that we're trying to, to, to come up with a payment without involving the dealer. And that's entirely not the case. In fact, we're starting with the desk. What we've said is we want to reimagine what the desking experience is. We're not taking an ounce of control away from the dealer. When we set up a dealer for the first time, they're inputting all of their own configurations the way they typically do that desking experience in the show. We're just moving it upstream and doing it in a digital form. So explain that very simply. If I want to make $2,000 on these, you know, subsect of cars or whatever, you're inputting that. And again, that's a very basic example, but you're basically taking that, you're putting it to your system, and then your system's able to spit out the proper payments for the customer and the car based on my requirements. Is that basically how it works? Yeah, for, for the most part. Again, we're inputting their preferred lenders. So dealers have lenders that they prefer to work with. We're, we've got logic that bakes in their, their markups. So dealers typically will be marking up a lease rate, the money factor, or an interest rate. Yeah, and, and when you say markup, you're, you're saying something distinct from what people associate with like you know, price markup. You're saying a, a markup on an interest rate and stuff like that. Correct. Some dealers will, will be marking up the interest rate. Of course, the price is, is critical. So there is margin uh, built into the invoice price, which is what the dealer pays, and the selling price, which is what they sell to the consumer for. So we have all of that logic baked in. They're finance and insurance products. That's also a profit center for the dealership. So you know, aftermarket warranties, uh, protection coverage, things like that. All of that is ingested. Typically, this is all done at the desk while the consumer is in the showroom waiting for that first monthly payment estimate. We're doing that. We're preloading all of that, all of those inputs when we first set up a dealership. And so now when the dealer's using Carmatic and they're, and they're speaking to a, a consumer trying to get to that monthly payment, we've got all of that logic already baked in. And now we've moved it upstream whereby traditionally a business development rep or a salesperson doesn't have any access to that. They have to wait until the consumer's in the showroom. And then what they do is they go over to the desk and on a busy Saturday, there's a line at the desk, salespeople, there's a you know, line of salespeople at the desk waiting for that first pencil, that first monthly payment estimate. And that's part of the frustration with consumers is one, the wait time. Two, I think a big one is a consumer gets really excited about a vehicle of interest, right? And they might see it on one of the marketplaces. They submit that lead, they get to the dealership only to find that they can't afford that car. You know, that, that payment comes back and they're $200 off of what they thought they could afford. And so what if we could what if we could create that transparency, bring that upstream before the consumer comes in, they've got five vehicles of interest and they have a sense of what that monthly payment's going to be. By the time they get to the dealership, there's no disappointment. And I think that's what we're seeing in real time is less frustration, especially as we as we go into 24 again, 
in this high rate environment, consumers don't know what they can and can't afford. And dealers don't have the toolkit to answer those questions. They just don't have. Them. So we're improving that customer satisfaction score at the dealership because we're kind of solving for that upstream online, all in a digital way. Does this risk anyone's job at the traditional dealership? I, I don't think it risks anyone's job at all. I think it makes them a heck of a lot more efficient. On a busy Saturday, now I can, as a desking manager, I can desk a heck of a lot more deals. Uh, as a salesperson or a BDR rep, I, I can handle a lot more customers than I'm typically used to handling. So think about, again, going back to that busy Saturday, as a salesperson, it's one-on-one. It takes me so much time, not only to find that the vehicle is available, to find the right features, et cetera. We've already surfaced that. Now I can handle five customers at once because we've done it's, all the It's heavy definitely a huge bottleneck. You know, we used to always just cross-train people on desking as much as we could because it's it's the bottleneck. When it's busy, that is your bottleneck. Absolutely. Yeah, and, and I think it's a huge bottleneck. And, and look, I'm, a, I'm as I might have mentioned, I'm a huge car enthusiast. And, and my wife actually... She loves kind of changing out her truck every few years. So we lease her vehicle. Even knowing what I know and being part of the industry, it's so frustrating to get that monthly loan or lease payment. In our case, the lease payment. I think part of that is this unwillingness on the part of the dealer to want to present that payment online before I come into the showroom. But I don't think anyone's approached it the way we have with Carmatic. Again, How so? we're not like- changing. We're not changing the way they desk deals. We're not changing the way they get to that first, second, third, final pencil of a payment. All we're doing is automating that, all of those processes, and doing it in real time and bringing it online. And I think that's a big disconnect with just transparency in general. You got this online to offline experience that's so broken because that initial payment, so those that are doing it online and offering some kind of monthly payment estimate online, it doesn't translate to the show. And it's broken. I don't think anyone's really started with the desk and then built an experience around that affordability and transparency. And that's what we've done. All right. So very nitty gritty question. You are not the bank. The dealer here is not the bank. You are working with banks or with the dealer's banks to get their info. But how are you able to provide that correct payment for a customer if you are not actually the lender, this customer is not actually being sent to the bank? How are you doing this? Great question. So we're, we we built a lot of back-end partnerships with data providers, whether that's lenders. <laughs> I've looked into some of these things. Let me tell you, like I've looked into some of these things. And so, you know, I quickly discovered that Capital One does not put out rate sheets. How the hell do you know what they're going to act and what they're going to do when they don't put out this data. But anyways, so go ahead. So yeah, so we built a lot of partnerships with, with, with all the data providers that ultimately arrived at that monthly payment. The lenders are a big piece of that. So we are pulling in real-time programs. We have over 200 lenders on our platform. We've got the captives, third parties. And what's interesting is that long tail of credit unions. I don't think a lot of people realize that a lot of dealers are really leveraging credit unions. Especially they nowadays. Offer especially nowadays, they offer, a lot of them offer better terms. They can get a customer in at a lower monthly payment and the dealers can actually make more gross because of those terms. So we're ingesting all of that data. On the OEM side, we're ingesting 
all of the real-time rebates, incentives, etc. You do new end use, right? New end use, of course, CPO, in transit, all of that. But at the end of the day, to get to that monthly payment accuracy, of course, we've got to have the right programs. And so our system is doing that automatically for the dealership. If we've got dealers that only want to use the captive lender, fantastic. When we onboard every dealer, we work with their preferred lenders, but then we're also offering access to our, you know, our entire lender network. And we think we've got one of the most robust lender networks in terms of coverage in the space. And I think that's really important, offering that, that objectivity and that, that range of choice for dealers. We've actually heard from dealers that by leveraging Karmatic, we've uncovered lender programs that they didn't know exist. Yeah, because you know of it on your, through your data, and maybe the desk manager just happens to not know about it. That makes sense. And that dovetails into kind of the second piece, which we really haven't touched on, which is profitability. So in addition to putting a, a monthly payment instantly on every vehicle in real time across the entire lot, or if you're a group across the campus, we're also putting a gross profit on every vehicle. And so now we've got line of sight for the dealership on profitability. Today, the dealer has to land on a car, pick the right program, do all of that kind of heavy lifting to arrive at the profit. We put a profit on every vehicle. And you know, the next question is going to be, well, now you're taking profit away from me. You know, you're, you're taking control away from that. And that's absolutely not the case. In fact, what we're doing is we're balancing the most profitable vehicle with the lowest monthly payment for the consumer. I've got a consumer that comes in and says, my budget is 500 to 525 a month. Here are the features I want. Here's the kind of vehicle I want. Our system looks instantly across the entire set of inventory, finds the vehicles that meet those kind of affordability needs of the consumer, but then starts with the highest profit. And so if you're able to get a consumer into a vehicle within that profit, within that monthly payment range, we're going to balance that with the highest profit for the dealership. And you're not consumer facing, right? Like you said, you're a sales enablement tool. You are completely on the back end. Correct. Okay, so walk me through this, right? Any consumer listening to this knows that you could go on a dealership's website right now and get that crazy monthly payment range, which is incorrect. Unless they have some great software, in which case it may be better. But needless to say, we all know the ones that are incorrect. Every dealer listening to this is probably thinking, oh, well, I work with some digital retailing tool that enables my customer to get some monthly payment, which is also probably incorrect. Maybe it is correct if they're working with another great partner. And there are some great partners in the industry. I want to understand now, if you are successful, meaning if every dealership today had adopted Karmatic, your product, would you make the digital retailing tool obsolete? And the reason I say that is because if most digital retailing tools are not providing accurate monthly payments, and again, there's exceptions. I'm a huge fan of AutoFi, for example. They're a partner of the podcast, and I've, I've really believed in the product for many, many years because uh, they built a phenomenal you know, product that integrates with other lenders. But the point I'm trying to make here is, if you're successful, right? how does that impact the whole like, digital retailing world? Or better yet, how does that impact the front-end consumer experience before they even get to submitting that lead? Because now, will there be a disconnect? That's what I'm trying to understand. I, I think when you look at some of the digital retailing tools out there, they're really not being used by the dealership as a transactional tool. And, and we're big fans of Autify as well. I think if you look at some of the other players, they're really being treated as lead jet. 
And the reason being is there is that disconnect uh, because they're not truly connected to the desk, meaning the, the, the digital retailing tools, or we'll call them payment estimators, et cetera. Yeah, it's a super lead. It's a, it's a lead it's a with just lead. more detail. And, yeah. and, and we hear that time and again from all of And again, I don't want to paint a broad brush because it's with very few exceptions, there's companies that have built the intellectual property like Autify and some others where they actually have integrations with lenders. But otherwise, there's many that are just super leads. Correct. And if you look at those super lead gen providers, because one, they don't have the depth of coverage of the lenders and the lender platforms, they're really not connected to the desk in the sense that that payment is unwound. The desk is not leveraging the the lead in the same way that let's say a salesperson or BDR reference. So I'm on the dealer website and let's say I've got a digital retailing tool on that website. It's still a monthly payment estimate. Unless again, I'm, I'm, I'm direct to lender and I've got that direct connection with the lender. Great. Now I've got, let's say, making it up. I've got a partnership with Capital One and we're going direct with Capital One or Westlake. Fantastic. But what about all those other deals where the, the dealership is working with other lenders, the credit unions, some other third parties? Let's say I've got a consumer that, that, that is basically, look, look, I'm a Chase customer. I want to work with Chase. What happens then? So I think what happens when the customer gets into the dealership and they get put to the desk, the desk is essentially unwinding that deal and redesking it out based on how they want to conduct business. And I think that's, that's the big disconnect. So it's extremely frustrating for consumers when they get a monthly payment estimate on the dealer's website or they're on a marketplace site and they get to the dealership and they're working with a different lender and that payment is wildly off. So, so I think as we evolve Parmatic, we are actually in the middle of testing a consumer-facing piece of functionality, shop by payment at the group site level. Okay. And, now and things are getting things are getting wild over here. We're getting wild. And look, putting my founder hat back on, making the mistakes we've made in the past, we want to get that B2B sales enablement piece right first. We don't want to get distracted with... Yeah, that's the goods. The that's, that's the meat and potatoes, as I like to say. Yeah, and we get really excited because no one's focused on arming that first touch point at the dealership, the BDR, the, the BDC rep, and the sales rep with a toolkit for them to do their job better. It's baffling to me. Today, the BDR rep has the CRM and they're working with the dealer website, which is the same experience that the consumer sees. And, and so how are you able to be a better advocate for your consumer shopper when you're using the same toolkit that the consumer already has access to. So we've said, what if we could build a product that is really focused on those two use cases, you know, the BDC, the salesperson. Of course, we have desking managers and folks at the desk using our product as a desking tool, but we're really kind of reimagining desking. We're evolving desking. And believe me, I totally get it. It clicked for me, I think like 20 minutes ago when I was like, aha, I get exactly the bottleneck that you're solving because I've experienced this firsthand and it's painful. And, and getting back to your, your your point on longer term, you know, as we evolve Karmatic and we become embedded in the workflow, that's another big learning for, for me personally was, you know, moving coming from the digital ad uh, side of the business, the marketplace side of the business, and really focus more on pure SaaS. You really have to embed yourself in the workflow and make yourself sticky. 
you can't change behavior. You have to augment their existing processes. But if you do that right, now you really open up a lot of opportunity to then expand that functionality. And so we're anchored on improving that desking experience, evolving the desking experience to make it a lot more accessible. Once you do that and you've built trust around payment accuracy and payment integrity, now you can start looking at how do we surface this in front of consumers in a much more effective way. Today, consumers can't go into Carmatic.com and start searching for vehicles. That's on purpose. Yeah, and it's smart because you're just not competing with the flood of kind of front-end tools. You're a bit lower funnel, just much less competition, arguably more sophistication potentially and having to, like you said, augment internal dealership processes, but also a lot less competition today. And clearly a lot of inefficiency. A lot less competition, a lot of inefficiency. But it's interesting you mentioned that. We really haven't had a chance to talk about our enterprise solutions. So we're starting to see a lot of inbound interest for access to our payment engine via APIs. Because of our, one, because we started with the desk. Two, because our whole ethos is that, you know, that payment that a consumer sees on a consumer facing site does not translate to what I end up going home with at the dealership. So we're starting to work with partners who see, you know, valuable integrations that enable their solutions with a best-in-class payment technology. So, you know, and one one that's tied to the showroom. For me, that that's what gets me out of bed. That's what gets me so excited is the consistency, that link from online to offline when it comes to that monthly payment. So you're going to start to see Carmatic in multiple places. That, that will be our foray as well into kind of getting in front of consumers is working with... So you're going to be powering folks. other systems and platforms, you're saying? Correct. And that's not to say, again, I, I get asked this question a lot from, from the VCs as well, which is given you guys where you guys come from, where's the marketplace? You know, where's the karmatic.com, you know, standalone experience? And, and again, going back to what I said earlier, we're, we're laser focused on being the. Yeah, you're building the foundation right now. Tool. Absolutely. If you build a strong foundation, yeah, you can then leverage that foundation and that in many different ways. I totally get it. Absolutely. I know you have an affiliation with Island Auto Group. Can you just tell us a bit about the results, early results of Carmatic? I mean, you're, you're live, you're launched, right? You're signing up dealers. Just give us like some early results. Tell us what it's been like, real operations. Yeah. One thing to call out with Island Auto Group is they've been a phenomenal partner to us. I kind of approach building any any company with a, a lens on and a focus on customer development, which is really getting out of the office before you write your first line of code and, and really listening to your users. For us, our users are our dealers. And more importantly, it's the folks in the dealership that are using your product every day. Island has been instrumental in, in working with us. We work with you know 13 of their stores on a daily basis. We're getting real-time feedback from BDR reps, sales reps, GSMs, GMs, the ownership. Island had the initial vision for what Carmatic would become, and they've been instrumental in, in getting us to where we are today. When you look at Island, when you look at a lot of our large dealer group customers, again, we, we, we work with dealer groups, we work with single point stores. We're seeing a lot of great early feedback, uh, green shoots, if you will. We're seeing much higher appointment set rates for those that use Carmatic. Those set rates are turning into higher show rates 
those show rates are closing at, at much higher conversion rates. Because we're surfacing all of this transparency upstream, we're providing that transparency to consumers, ultimately enabling the dealer to be a lot more efficient. We're seeing, especially like from folks at Island, they've actually ripped out their entire desking product and are using Carmatic as the sole desking product. We've got other dealer groups that started out as, you know, using this at the upper funnel with BDC and sales folks. And now they're realizing that, why am I paying for a desking product when Carmatic already does that for us? One thing to call out, you know, we're not going to market as a desking product. Yes, of course, we're a desking platform, but we're so much more. We started with desking as the foundation, as the anchor. But from there, we built, you know, best in class inventory search. We built a phenomenal recommendation engine that anchors on monthly payment accuracy. And we built marketing automation on top of that. So again, anchoring on payment transparency, but then the applications that you can build on top of that is really the next generation for where we're going to take our money. I love it. David, super interesting. I think I want to wrap up with when Carmatic gets the proper adoption or you know gets mass adoption in the industry, what is that end result? Give us just a snapshot of how has car buying changed for the consumer and the dealer? I think you know it boils down to affordability, transparency, and efficiency. So as we evolve Carmatic, we become part of the workflow at the dealership. In doing so, we're really making them a heck of a lot more efficient. We're generating much higher profitability for the dealers. One, because time-saving and full automation. Two, because we're surfacing profit in real time, and they're able to have line of sight into the most profitable vehicle transactions that still balance the needs of, of their consumer shoppers. And, and three, ultimately, this transparency piece. As we evolve and grow and scale Carmatic, now as a consumer, I'm going to have full confidence and trust that the dealership I'm working with is going to meet my payment needs. And at the same time, I'm also going to have a better experience working with that dealership. We want to build trust. We want to be the ultimate advocate for our dealer partners to build trust with their consumers. As we continue growing and evolving the Carmatic platform, the ultimate vision here at the end of the day is I will have complete trust and confidence that the payment I see online is the payment I'm going to get at the showroom when I go close out the deal and drive home with that new car. Amazing work, David. Are you going to be at NADA? I assume you're going to be there, have some representation? Absolutely. Yeah, we're, we're going to be at NADA. We're, we're looking forward to, to, to meeting with a handful of folks. If, if anyone's interested, please reach out. Um, you can reach me at davidcarmatic.com. And any dealers out there that would like to learn more about our technology, you can book a demo pretty quickly and easily at, at carmatic.com. And we'll also put the link in the show notes below. So if anyone wants to visit carmatic.com, learn more, they can just click the link in the show notes below and they can see it right there. David Dom, thanks for coming on CDG Podcast. So super fun. Great to be here. All right. Hope you enjoyed that episode. Please give the podcast a rating. Consider subscribing to the show and check the show notes for links to what we talked about. Thanks for tuning in. I'll see you guys next time.